0: Hello, welcome to the Personal Wealth Coach. We've got all kinds of good stuff lined up to talk about today. We're going to get started with what happened this week in the market. We have questions from listeners, including why is it that Chipotle can have a $2,000 share price and Walmart is only at $200? What's the difference? What does it have anything to do with anything? So we'll talk about that. We have questions about AI and if it's a bubble, if it's like the dot-coms. Elder Baldy Jeffrey has some really cool stuff to talk about, fear of missing out, FOMO in the market, why the market's doing well, why our economy is blowing the smithereens off of everybody else's economies right now. Once more onto the breach, dear friends.
1: Else fill the wall up with our English debt.
0: Good afternoon, morning, some part of the day to you podcast listeners listening to us at your whim. Good time to you. It's kind of a universal way of saying hello, I guess. Good time.
1: I'll um, Say good day. You just be Australian, and say good day.
0: Good day. Except that what right. do you do when it's nighttime? Well, well I guess that's part of the day. For them. Time is
1: part of the day. Yeah.
0: yeah. Our night is their day. So it should, it should work out somehow. Somebody's day is happening. And that's our first disclosure is that somebody's day is happening right now. Uh, next disclosure is this is the personal wealth coach i know we already said that but now it's a disclosure way of saying it instead of just randomly saying our name the personal wealth coach is an sec registered investment advisory firm not meaning to imply that the sec has given granted or given us great deals of expertise or the uh anointing of the chosen ones or anything silly like that they are just the regulators and we're required to tell and tell you about them we're also required to tell you that we're required to tell you about them and that they haven't anointed us only that's not the word that they wish us to use we've decided to do that we're also just because we're registered with them to give investment advice doesn't mean we can give it in all places at all times on a podcast we can't give investment advice not unless only one of you is listening and we know which one you are and you don't allow anybody else to listen there's privacy issues that sort of thing hopefully we're educating though That is the entire purpose of this podcast is to get some education out there and allow you guys, gals, and creatures to make better decisions in your daily financial life. Uh, And you have a disclosure that you need to give as well.
1: The information we present on this educational radio program has been sourced from sources that we deem to be reliable. However, we do not warranty or guarantee the completeness or accuracy of said information
0: now we also aren't on a radio program so we'll do the podcast as well that same way see this is when we do disclosures we have them memorized from decades of radio and we're not doing radio anymore so um the information in this podcast which is being broadcast did via I the air you did Duh. yeah it's amazing the the things that we are used we've been trained so well all right so um what happened this week in the market
1: well the market moved ahead it stayed pretty much at uh, the the wall street part of the market stayed pretty much at 44 wall street it continued to move east at about 440 miles an hour making it around the earth each day. But the S&P 500 stock index, affectionately known as the SPX, plowed ahead another week, rising 0.95% to close at 5,137.08, which is pretty impressive because not very long ago we were marking, at least I was marking, 4,000. When it's above 4,000, it's up. When it's below 4,000, it's down. So since it's at 5,137, it's it's up. up. Yeah, it's up. As a matter of fact, it's up 7.7% so far this year, over 29% from a year ago. Now, let's put that in perspective. Looking back three years, in the last three years, the SPX is up 32.73%. But in the last one year, it's up 29%, meaning that it gained almost all the gains that it's accumulated over the last three years and the last 12 months. take got the gains from the past year, and it's up only 3.7% over a two-year period. And that's the way markets work. They go up, they go down, but it takes a great deal of patience and tolerance for poor and even negative performance to reap the long-term benefits of investing. It also takes a lot of diversification and a lot of thought. There are going to be periods of time If you are truly an investor and you're watching regular valuations of what you invested in, it's going to go up or it's going to go down. If the underlying reason you invested is valid over the long term, hopefully you will see more of it go up than go down and you'll make money. But it takes patience. Other followed market indicator, the CRSP U.S. Mid-Cap Value Index rose 1.14% for the week. Notice that it was up more this week in the S&P 500. It was up to 2574.14, but it's only up 6.6% from a year ago. Here's where patience is now required as the rest of the market creeps along very slowly in contrast to the significant six, previously magnificent seven. And I I don't know if significant six is going to stick, but I stuck it in there because Tesla has dropped out of the magnificent seven. So there's only six now.
0: now who who determined that it dropped out of the magnificent seven? There's a well, committee it, somewhere of magnificent decision makers.
1: The Wall Street Journal folks are referring to the Magnificent Seven now as the something six, super six or significant six, because Tesla's growth has not been astronomical over the last year. It slipped backwards a little bit. And so that leaves and it has very little to do with AI. So, the AI stocks that are providing most of the growth in the SPX are now only six stocks. And if you set those aside, the rest of the market is up between six and 7% for the last year. Now, that may sound terrible to you, but that is a really good return for one year. And it's, which is going to lead us to the next subject I want to talk about after the market, which is FO. And on the other side of the market, where the U.S. Treasury yield curve dominates, the 10-year U.S. Treasury note, which is kind of the benchmark for interest rates in the United States, ended the market week yielding 4.19%, while the one-month T-bill held at 5.54%. And at the other end of the curve, the 30-year Treasury bond paying 4.33%. And what that means is if you loan money for one month to the United States government… Your annualized rate right now is five point five four percent. They'll pay you. If you loan it for ten years, it's four point one nine percent. And if you loan it for thirty years, it's four point three three percent. Considering that inflation continues to plow along, uh, you're only getting about one and a half percent if you buy a thirty year per year, if you're getting a treasury bond, thirty year treasury bond right now. And you owe and taxes that on that. And you owe taxes on well, actually actually you own tax you owe taxes on the entire four point three three percent, which means if you're in a fairly high tax bracket and you loan money to the government for 30 years, by the time you pay your taxes and you consider inflation, presuming it runs along the same thing it's run the last year, you won't make any money at all.
0: But you won't lose, lose money. Some
1: money. You might. Well, you, might, you might sell lose it early. Money. All right. Yeah. Well, you might lose, depending on what inflation it does between now and then. So it's, it's a weird bond market. Texas intermediate crude oil, Texas, uh, West Texas intermediate crude oil is continuing its slow, but very relentless climb. It's gradually creeping upward. It ended the U.S. market week at $79.76, up 4.2% from last week. Now we keep, I keep talking about the U.S. market week. U.S. treasury securities trade 24 hours a day and so does oil. So we kind of mark around the end of the Wall Street market week, uh, which is three o'clock central time four o'clock Eastern time, and we mark it right there. But that doesn't mean that the price is stuck there. Matter of fact, if I wait a few minutes and market it again, I'll get you a different figure. So that's the way the markets went.
0: Okay. Well, we have good questions lined up. Number, We had some news that cop- popped up in the, the personal consumption expenditures popped up from Bureau of Labor, or the, yeah, the BEA and uh, uh, Commerce Department. No, that's BEA is the labor department, sorry. No, uh, the
1: BEA is its commerce. It's the commerce department. department.
0: I'm looking over at CPI at the same time and it's confusing the fire out of me. Yeah,
1: okay. It's the BLS over there. You don't confuse the BLS with the BEA.
0: Right. You you were talking about the the return in the market minus the big 6 stocks being Just right around 6.6%. And the PCE, which is a really good measure of inflation, a preferred measure than the CPI, because CPI is a bunch of stuff people don't buy every day, um, including what the rental value of your house is, regardless of whether you're renting it out. And the PCE came in and said that we're running year over year at 2.4% inflation. Mm -hmm. If you got a 6.6% in the market over the last year, and we had a 2.4% inflation over the last year, then we're running at the normal market returns over extremely long period of time, which is to say you're keeping up with inflation and a 4% withdrawal rate, which is weird, but this is where you keep hearing from people that have been doing this a long time, you shouldn't be taking out significantly more than 4% a year in a retired portfolio. There's a lot of other caveats that go in there, mean well diversified and, and all that. It shouldn't ever be considered a guarantee, but to look around and see that the market, even with all the headlines and the hoopla that we're seeing with AI and so on, is doing what the market typically does. <laughs> it's just a normal year. All right, uh, you had your hand up like you had a well, question, just, student. Just a little thing. One <laughs> of
1: the one of the other factors about that four percent is that people apply the seat when they do that figuring, and they say four percent. They apply the consumer price index to withdrawals in retirement as if you're going to raise it by the CPI each year. Like you right, said, right? Thirty-four percent of the consumer price index is the theoretical rental value of your house. So if you own your own house and you're making fixed payments or you have already paid it off, your cost of owning the house is not going up at the same rate of speed that the CPI says it is. Which means most retirees, instead of raising their withdrawals at the same rate as the CPI goes up, go for years without increasing their withdrawals. So they can actually afford to take a little more than 4% out Matter of fact, my personal estimation is five percent should be the ceiling. If you're not going to raise it every year, and still probably in pretty good shape. But that's that's all dependent upon a lot of things. Don't take don't put that one in concrete, folks. It all depends on how you build your portfolio, what your expected rate of return in the portfolio is, how much is equities, how much is bonds, and so on. It's it's a very complex thing to look at, which is why we get paid the big bucks. Yeah,
0: <laughs> our bucks are the same size as everybody else's. I keep waiting for a big one to come in, and it's just the same size. All right, so um, that kind of laid out what I was talking about with the PCE. We have uh, two questions hanging out there. One is from Inquisitor John, um, our most uh, loyal and faithful questioner. He would question us about whether the sun is up or not. Uh, he is an excellent contributor to the program he, put aside the tongue-in-cheek for a moment. Thank you, John. His question is, next bubble to burst. Will AI be the next dot-com bubble to burst? Uh, you had a quick answer when you read it. If I could answer that, you couldn't afford to pay me. Um, and that's a, it's a good answer. The answer to this is we're not into bubble territory with it yet. And I know, this is weird. I'll give you my definition of a bubble. Uh, and it isn't answering the question yet either. My definition of a bubble... When you have highly competent, well-trained people doing something that they are not competent or trained in and yet making a lot of money out of it. So if you have uh, uh, two doctors that are married together, um, buying a house in the suburbs of Austin, going in on their weekends and painting it, and then selling it for significantly more money than they bought it for. That's the definition of a bubble. When you can do something and add no value to it, and yet everybody's making money doing it, that's a bubble. You can tell this in gold. When gold prices are high enough that the local plumber moves to Alaska to start panning or digging or any number of other things to get the gold out, and he's making a profit in his first year, that's a bubble because it means that the economy for that item is upside down people that don't know what they're doing should basically not make a profit period if you hire somebody to fix your car <laughs> you know where i'm going from there and they don't know what they're doing they shouldn't get paid Um if you're trying to buy gold from someone and yet they don't know what they're doing and somehow they're coming up with gold enough gold to make a living. Gold prices are too high and eventually they'll come down. Why? Because enough plumbers and other people, that doctors, that don't know how to find gold or, or get it out of the ground in any kind of efficient way, when enough of them go up to Alaska to do it the price comes down and eventually doing it inefficiently makes them lose money. Uh, so when we're talking about AI A lot of money is being spent on AI right now. But you're not hearing about your typical ma and pop store opening an AI business and making money in it yet. That'll come because the amount of sizzle over the words AI, the letters AI, is really high. So eventually people are just going to tack the AI name to their company name, regardless of whether they do AI or not, and it will cause their prices to go up and people will go, oh, this is great and you can't lose money. When you start hearing those words, that's when we'll say it's the next bubble to burst. When the majority of people believe that all you have to do is buy AI and you're set for life, That's when the bubble's about to burst. Right now, the people involved in AI are still the vast majority experts in the field. uh, If you go to the late 90s, when dot-coms were popping up everywhere, you had an accounting firm that didn't even have any computers in the office. They only had paper stacks of tax forms, and they said, we're taxaccounting.com, and their stock price went up. That's a bubble. They're not actually doing the thing. So that's that's my beginning answer to that question. The rest of the answer to that question is, will it become a, well, I mean, the rest of the question should be, will it become a bubble? Um, probably. Most new technologies get into that, and that you can include DVD players or streaming music or any number of others. AI is probably going to be a more mainstream bubble. Most people didn't buy Blu-ray companies when DVDs were getting their standardization across. Uh, But a lot of people did buy dot-coms. So I suspect we're going to get into bubble territory at some point there. And there could be extreme drops in the value of the companies doing AI right now between now and when the bubble starts. I don't see the bubble yet. Um, Why not? too much profitability. <laughs> when when Apple or Tesla or SpaceX or name a large tech company is able to trim back on their staff and make more profit by incorporating AI, it's not a bubble yet. When they spend a bunch of money on AI and get no value out of it, That's where the bubble is, Um, and there are a bunch of companies that started around the concept of a dot-com, and one of our favorites was DR Coop, our favorite, because it was the definition of why it was a bubble. DR Coop, or Dr. Coop, was based out of Austin, and it was this fantastic idea of it will deliver prescription medication directly to your door through the Internet, and it was being talked about as the newest and greatest idea in 1999. Why is that a bubble? Well, because Congress had to pass some laws to allow that to be legal, and it took them 20 years (laughs) to do it. (laughs) Congress is not known for being fleet of foot, especially right now. So when someone says, I have a great investment opportunity, all it takes is an act of Congress to get profitable, you could probably say that's not something you'd want to put your money in, and yet their stock price rose into the stratosphere based on the idea of what could happen there in the future as if Mm -hmm. they were the only ones that would have access to it at that point and not every other pharmaceutical company in the world as well so that's was my really long-winded answer there Um, you, you can take over now
1: a shorter winded answer and more illustrative i think is if you've ever seen a Roadrunner cartoon.
0: I have seen those, yes.
1: So Wile E. Coyote is the market. And the mesa that Wile E. Coyote is running on is the underlying earnings of the company. The problem, and this is where you get the big bubbles that collapse violently, is when the earnings begin to fall and the stock price continues to go up, which happened in 2000, by the way. Why does it go up? Because people have totally forgotten about earnings and they're buying because of stock splits or they're buying because of it's a cool stock or it has gone up. It's when you hear people say a stock price is going up. And I don't like to hear that. It is an indication that they don't have a grip on reality because stock prices are never going anywhere. They have gone up. Perhaps they may go up in the future. It's just a change. But they're never going up. They're never in the process of going. They're never in the process of going up. 'Cause they can turn on a dime. They have no there's no such thing as real momentum, although people do invest based on momentum and there's some evidence behind it. It's just that a whole herd of people start doing things together and we call that momentum. But the reality is the price of the stocks rises or falls based on whether people are buying and selling, and that's it. Fantastic. I got a I got a very interesting question while we were traveling this week about what I thought about Bitcoin from a person who probably has very little idea about what investing is about. And I said, Well, let me ask you this. You're a business owner. And he said, yes. And I said, and so you've got two valuations on your business because you've got real estate under your business here and you've got physical stuff on the business, on the real estate, and it can be appraised and we say it's worth this much. We can also say that you have cash flow in your business and that also can give value to the business. So if you buy a share in a company that has physical assets you get a percentage of the physical assets, theoretically. You also get a percentage of the income, the, the profits. Now here, let me ask you this. When you buy Bitcoin, what do you get a percentage of that's in the real world? Nothing. And exactly how much cash flow does Bitcoin have? None. So what is the underlying value of Bitcoin? And he said, none. And I said, right. It was originally designed to be a currency to replace the dollar, but nobody uses it as currency. So why is it valuable? It's valuable because of the greater fool theory. I'll buy it now because some other idiot will buy it from me. That's greater fool than I am for more than I'm paying now. And this can go on for years, but eventually it will collapse.
0: And let me kind of give it a little bit gentler treatment than the greater fool or another idiot's going to come along and buy it from me. I prefer thinking of it more like a playing card where somebody, people are buying it from nostalgia as well as because of what it is. Uh, When we talk about that underlying value, the physical assets, the cash flow, that's cash flow. That's called intrinsic value. And if there's no intrinsic value to something, it doesn't mean that you can't make money on it. It just means you shouldn't expect to. If, you're, if it's not doing something internally co- to create a profit and isn't worth anything underneath it all, then all you're waiting for is enough people to not want to buy it later to leave you left with it. And that's the same for Mickey Mantle or a, a, a U.S. Eagle gold coin. Um, you can't buy groceries with that gold coin. You can try, but it won't work. Uh, so why do you have it? Well you have it because it's representing some kind of value. Well who would pay you for it? Somebody else that thinks that it's valuable. Right now the only thing underlying Bitcoin is someone else thinks it's valuable enough to spend money on it. When you're talking about gold it's the same except that there's some other stuff. You can use gold in electronics. You can make jewelry out of gold real estate just by itself raw real estate you didn't add any value to it why should you expect to make any money off of it well you shouldn't expect to but if you know the market and you know that the city is growing out in that general area and you buy it and you have a sufficiently long time horizon it makes sense to say somebody will want to use this at some point in the future and that's why it will be more valuable Bitcoin is being used less than it was And in the original white papers and communication around the white paper on Bitcoin, they warned against the concept of referring to Bitcoin as an investment because they wanted it to be used as a currency. They didn't want it to be a volatile store of value that went up and down and in price all the time. They wanted it to be stable and not to be used as a dump all of it to go buy something but rather to use a little bit at a time to buy groceries or to buy gas for your car. It has totally not turned into that. It has turned into this is a volatile thing and, it, and a lot of people have made money on it so I'm going to get into it and try it as well. That's the greater fool concept. There are people that are true believers here and they deeply believe in the concepts underlying Bitcoin and that someday it will be the currency. I think that has become farther and farther from reality, but that's where we are. You can make money in Bitcoin, don't get us wrong. I know a lot of people that have done it and they've made a lot of money in Bitcoin. I also know a lot of people that have lost a lot of money in Bitcoin and sometimes they're the same person. It's kind of like going to Vegas. It is a gamble. What we recommend is only buy things that have intrinsic value, that have some opportunity to make a profit beyond somebody else might pay me more for it. And that seems to work long term. Uh, Where, you know, buying tulips or ostrich eggs, yeah, these even have some intrinsic value. But at some point, they're not going to be worth the meteoric prices that they were getting. And I believe that eventually, Bitcoin will be there. Unless enough people believe that it'll be used as a currency, that they actually get to use it as a currency. And But we're moving away from that.
1: Well, you know, at $58,000 per coin, it becomes a rather poor currency.
0: Well, you've got nine decimal places on the thing. And this is the thing that I've come back to. They say... The reason why Bitcoin has the ability to last is because there's a limitation on the number of Bitcoins. But when you have nine decimal points, nine decimal places that you can add in, fractional shares can reach close to infinity, particularly if you have enough of the coin. So it's not a limitation either if you just keep using smaller and smaller pieces. But people aren't. You're not buying... Um, 0.0003 bitcoins worth of pizza. That's just not happening. (laughs) Um, And if it were, there would be some more possibility for Bitcoin in the future than what we're seeing now.
1: If there were a giant institution someplace like the Federal Reserve that was dedicated to preserving the value of Bitcoin, Bitcoin by not allowing too many of them to get in circulation or too few and controlled the manufacture of Bitcoin totally, Then Bitcoin could become a currency, but until it has a big institution behind it, which is unlikely to ever happen, it will be massively volatile. As a business person, taking Bitcoin in for something, let's say somebody wanted to buy a car from you, a $58,000 car, and they offered you one Bitcoin. By the time you got your Bitcoin in and sort of, and you filled out all the title paperwork, you may have lost $10,000 on that car or made $10,000 on that car. And I don't think that car dealerships are interested in doing that
0: correct and a lot of the we were in a car dealership or an automobile dealership and it had a sign that said we take bitcoin and i asked them if they took bitcoin and they said no <laughs>
1: they actually say that
0: it said the sign it, says we accept bitcoin and i asked them if they accepted bitcoin and they said no we stopped accepting bitcoin two years ago they said so they still have the sign up though yes
1: Which says something, I'm not sure what, but it says something. It
0: says what it says on the sign, so I don't know what it means, though. That's, That's the tough part.
1: It says something about the dealership.
0: Right. So the two of us drove up to Tennessee from Texas and back over the last five days or so and had a tremendous amount of time together talking about things and watching the economy, counting trucks, and man, there's a lot of trucks on the road right now. Uh, so from our perspective, looking at the economy as a whole, people that have listened to us for very long know that we look at things like truck counts. And there were several days on our journey where the trucks outnumbered the passenger vehicles four or five to one. That's unusual compared to history anyway. Um, and it's also part of the reason why we can't continue to grow at the speed that we have been growing is because you can't really fit any more trucks on that road. Uh, we know because we tried. <laughs> uh, so we're at capacity in some ways in growth, and that's kind of worth looking at. Um, yeah, so do you have some more stuff to add to this, Is some other
1: nope, pieces? You pretty much got it.
0: All right. We appreciate all of you for listening. Uh, we are a bit more exhausted than usual this week, so we're going to do a bit of a shorter one-podcast only 30 minutes or so long. But we appreciate your listening. Do you want to add something here?
1: Well, actually, I, I was thinking about the market, but uh, some things we didn't get in the newsletter this week. By the way, if you do want to subscribe to our newsletter where we go into this in some detail, you're certainly welcome to contact us at jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. And, uh, but a lot of good news in the in the economy is continuing to surge ahead. But I didn't want to mention one thing. It's not in the newsletter. Construction is continuing, is, is contracting. And for the first time in, I think, 21 months, uh, it, it contracted for the first time in 21 months, uh, the manufacturing is continuing to slowly contract. Those are factors out there. But the manufacturing is a very small part of our economy. Services is the biggest, by far, chunk of our economy, which makes sense. And... It's something to watch out for. The, the higher interest rates that the Fed has applied are beginning to take effect and it's beginning to show up in construction. It's beginning to show, it has already showed up in manufacturing. The, there's an interesting correlation there in one dimension. This is kind of an addendum to the newsletter. The price of manufactured goods has been falling, which reduces our inflation rate, but the production of manufacturing goods is falling. Those make perfectly good sense. If the price of something is coming down, it's a good sign that we're making less of it because people are not buying it. Services, on the other hand, are stuck. When I say they're stuck, you only have so many p- so many plumbers in the United States and you don't have a huge supply of new plumbers coming in from China. At least I don't think we do. As a result, services, and that's just an example, services, prices are what are driving inflation right now. And I just had that little comment to add to the newsletter if you, if you read the newsletter.
0: Right. If you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually talk to clients and make portfolios and manage them for them. We give them advice on trusts and businesses and all kinds of other stuff like that. If you'd like to talk to us off the air, which is preferable when you're talking about private stuff like that, um, you can reach us locally at...
1: 11-11. 11-11.
0: Or toll-free, should you still have a landline at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. We've got a contact form there. You can email us directly at jeff or jake at tpwc.com. You can find a wealth of our podcasts anywhere you find podcasts. You can also find them on the webpage, as well as some of the radio programs going back a long time. You can sign up for the newsletter there. You can also read it there. You don't have to sign up. Uh, All of that is available if you wish it uh, at tpwc.com. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you had a great weekend.